That was the mm -hmm. first thing. And then I had to make space for the idea that these stable misery stories maybe weren't true. Mm -hmm. uh, just make space for the idea because it's easy to say, oh, just, you know, believe in yourself and don't tell yourself bad things and it'll all be better. Well, that's really easy and it's really pretty and it looks great on a postcard, but in reality, it's really hard to do that when you've been thinking things for a long time. So I just allowed myself the ability to say, what if this isn't true? And that was really helped. Um, and this is where things really started to turn. I had a mystical experience where mm -hmm. um, I was in a creative arts workshop with some of my colleagues because I used to do um, creative arts groups for veterans mm -hmm. with PTSD and I was in one of the groups and uh, my colleague asked us to write a story and the only uh, guidance she gave was she said it has to start with the words once upon a time. And basically, I wrote Once Upon a Time, and then I downloaded this story about this little girl who received all of these messages from different people in her life that she couldn't do things. And then she encountered this mystical being named I Am, and they went on this journey, and she learned that she's powerful and that she's more than good enough and that she's a treasure and all of these wonderful things. And so I realized in many ways that that story was about me. The big question is how can a shy girl with social phobia become a strong woman with jaw-dropping confidence? This podcast is here to give you the answer. I spent the last four years learning from the best coaches to date. Join me and my guests as I learn, apply and share best confidence techniques for women. My name is Silvia Valashikova and you are listening to Confident Women Secrets. Hi friends, I'm so excited today. Let me tell you that today we have as our guest, Dr. Linieta Willis, who is a psychologist, family empowerment coach and founder and CEO of Inner Pathways Coaching and Consulting. She helps frustrated families break unhelpful behavior and cross generational cycles so they can move from stable misery and into peaceful harmony. Through her Transformational coaching and engaging talks, her clients and audiences learn to strengthen their parenting, partnership and personal growth practices so they can feel harmony in their hearts and homes. Dr. Willis created her highly acclaimed Elemental Living Model for families and personal leadership as well as the spiritual path for evolving relationships framework. Apart from that, she's a speaker media contributor and author, her multi-award winning book, My Forgotten Self, a story about a girl, a powerful encounter and a universal message has received high acclaim. Dr. Willis lives in Georgia with her husband and their two children. I hope you will love this interview as much as I did. Dr. Willis is a sweet and empathetic person her energy and her wisdom are so appealing. Find out for yourself. Hi, Lunieta. Welcome to Confident Women's Secrets Podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, this is so good. I'm so excited to do this interview. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So let me start with the first question right away. As this is a podcast about confidence, 
my first question is, I would like to ask is like, what does confidence, especially female confidence, mean to you? Mm. So when I think of confidence, I think of like a person's ability to use their gifts and speak and live their truth, even when they're faced with like their fear-based stories that they tell themselves, or even like outside odds that, you know, of, of people that say you can't do this. So <clears throat> I think of when someone feels really confident, it's like no matter how strong the wind blows, they trust in their gifts and their abilities and their experiences and their core truth and their abilities and all of those things to really help them make it through or find the resources that they need to mm -hmm. get through. Mm -hmm. That is so beautiful. And so true, actually. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think our, 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 the stories, especially the stories we tell ourselves, I think really undermine our confidence. Uh -huh. more, sometimes more so than anything outside of us. Yes, than anybody else. Like, no matter what everyone else is saying, uh, like, what is really important is what we are telling ourselves. Exactly. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And... Can you remember of a time in your life when you felt like you would really use some confidence or maybe more confidence than you had? <laughs> Just one, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, know what comes up for me? <clears throat> mm -hmm. I've been, I talk a lot about this concept of stable misery which is it's a place that a lot of us live in when in general things feel okay like things are if you look at someone if you look at someone who's in stable misery you look at their life or they look at their lives and generally things are flowing along okay but they feel this deep sense of um, unfulfillment right mm -hmm. and and they're just sort of in this stable space <clears throat> of unfulfillment and when i when i think about that a time where i really could have used con confidence was earlier in my marriage um mm. and you know well i'll say this my marriage didn't really start out as fairy tales and rainbows i had a lot of insecurities um a lot of questions about whether or not i could be a good pot of insecurities and <clears throat> i and they leaked into my marriage and i didn't feel confident enough at all to name them i didn't have enough trust in myself or the relationship to really hold or serve as a foundation for um, what I was feeling and what I was experiencing. So, and my husband, he didn't want to hurt my feelings, so he didn't talk about it much, you know, mm -hmm. the, the different things. And we were living in this sort of state of stable misery. Like we had a roof over our head, we were a cute couple, you know, mm -hmm. we had food and, and a little bit of money to do things, but there was this deep sense of unfulfillment and mm -hmm. we, we were working a ton, so we didn't spend that much time together. And when we did, we just mainly like went to movies or went and watched TV. And at that time in my life, I had enough confidence where I could stand in front of a crowd of 500 and talk, no problem. But mm -hmm. I couldn't stand in front of my husband and say, I'm not happy or I'm scared, right? Like that took, that seemed to take more confidence than standing in front of a crowd of 500. Because I was going back to the stories in my head. I was thinking things like, what if he rejects me? What if he shuts down? What if he gets defensive? You know. And so I tell myself all of these stories about what will happen 
And then it just, it's just easier to stay in that stable misery state because it's like, oh, it's not worth all that. Um, and well, one thing I've learned through all that is, is that stable misery, it really thrives off that, what those what if questions, you know, mm -hmm. what if he rejects me? What if, like, that's what keeps it stable. So we stay in that, like, let's not rock the boat space. And that's what I did. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was tough, and we were there for about 10 years. Oh in my this God. Sort of, yeah, in this mediocre space of, of marriage. <clears throat> you know, we'd have fun sometimes, and other times we'd find ourselves living like roommates, and other times we'd find ourselves resenting each other, and then other times we'd find ourselves in a really good space having fun. You know, so there was nothing wrong, but it just, it wasn't fulfilling, and it wasn't this consistent fulfillment. So I realized that... Um, it wasn't until we sort of opened that do not touch box <laughs> of all those things that, um, and, and got some help, you know, that I read that things really started to change. And looking back now, like tying it back around to confidence, I really feel that <clears throat> if I had more confidence, not just in my marriage, because I didn't know how he was going to respond, but if I had more confidence in myself, mm -hmm and believed that I was enough and that I was whole and that I did deserve to thrive in my life and in my marriage and that I wasn't broken. You know, all of these things, I think if I had confidence in those things, it would have, it wouldn't have lasted 10 years. <laughs> it would have been much better, much sooner. Yeah. And, and when you look back at it, what was the first step? How did you make the first step to really do something about your marriage? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the first thing I had to do was I had to acknowledge um, that I was telling myself these stories. I had to make, I had to acknowledge that we were in stable misery. Now, at the time, I didn't use that phrase, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I had to acknowledge that, you know what, we're this, do we really want to live the next 50 years of our life this way, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a really good sign that someone, that a marriage is, or a relationship is in stable misery. When you have that question of, do I really want to live my life like this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> and if the answer is no, you might be in stable misery. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so... <clears throat> And I realized um, that, um, yeah, so what did I do? So I named it. That was the mm -hmm. first thing. And then I had to make space for the idea that these stable misery stories maybe weren't true. Mm -hmm. um, just make space for the idea. Because it's easy to say, oh, just, you know, believe in yourself and don't tell yourself bad things and it'll all be better. Well, that's really easy and it's really pretty and it looks great on a postcard, but... In reality, it's really hard to do that when you've been thinking things for a long time. So I just allowed myself the ability to say, what if this isn't true? And that was really helped. Um, and this is where things really started to turn. I had a mystical experience where um, I was in a creative arts workshop with some of my colleagues, because I used to do um, creative arts groups for veterans. Mm -hmm. with PTSD and I was in one of the groups and uh, my colleague asked us to write a story and the only 
uh, guidance she gave was she said it has to start with the words once upon a time. And basically I wrote once upon a time and then I downloaded this story about this little girl who received all of these messages from different people in her life that she couldn't do things. And then she encountered this mystical being named I am and they went on this journey and she learned that she's powerful and that she's more than good enough and that she's a treasure and all of these wonderful things. And so I realized in many ways that that story was about me. <clears throat> and um, I started to, that helped me to really make space for this sense that maybe, just maybe some of these stories that I'm carrying that are influencing how I'm showing up in my life and in my relationship with my husband aren't true. Um, and so then I began to slowly test the idea, right? <laughs> because one thing to have the thoughts and to make space, but then you got to test it and that's scary. So mm -hmm. I started taking just small steps and when I needed to, I would get help recognizing my blind spots and um, having someone to hold me accountable. But I think the biggest thing was I took action and I took mm -hmm. risks and I took small steps. I mean, self-help books and all that is really great, but I really, I believe fundamentally and foundationally that taking steps is really, really important. And because of that, it wasn't easy, I will say that, but it was worth it. And now my marriage is way better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are the steps you need to take, like from really realizing something and mm -hmm. believing it. That's what I think yeah. when I listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And then if you don't, things you don't believe, but you're willing to make space for, test it out. Mm -hmm. Test it out and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Design, yeah, exactly. I mean, I design little experiments for my clients sometimes, you know, just design little experiments for yourself and see what happens. Mm -hmm. What's there to lose, right? Right, right. <laughs> oh, okay. So, and tell me, like, what led you to become a psychologist and a family life coach? Like, what was mm -hmm. your path there? Yeah, so my triggers and traumas, for the short answer now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what better way to get past triggers and trauma yeah. than train yourself how to deal with them? I tell my clients all the time, like, please use my experiences in my training. <laughs> I paid enough for both, so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. you, know, <laughs> I, you know, as a child, I went through life like this walking ball of curiosity. I can still remember the looks my mother would give me when I would ask the most intimate questions of people. And to me, I was curious, you know, mm -hmm. but I would just ask a question and, you know, and I, I would notice things. Like I would see a couple sitting together and I would walk up and say like, why do you all look so angry? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or something. My mom's like, are you serious right now? Like, did mm -hmm. that really just happen? And I'm like, what, what did I do, you know? And so, um, I, as I got older, I realized, and I, I, you know, I hear a lot of people say this, um, that people started coming to me and asking me questions, and I would say things that apparently would be helpful. Uh, and so I realized that I kind of like being nosy, and I like understanding <laughs> in people's, I like helping people to get, you know, deeper awareness mm -hmm. into themselves. So I got a master's in counseling and a PhD in psychology, and I specialized in everything I thought I was going to need to mm -hmm. raise a good family. 
So I, I specialized <laughs> in couples and family and parenting and trauma recovery and all this stuff. Uh, the problem with that is life doesn't always act like it does in the textbooks. So that oh, didn't yeah. always work out as perfectly. You know, kids don't always respond like they're supposed to. Your husband doesn't always say what he's supposed to. So mm-hmm. it didn't work out as perfect as I thought, but you know, that was my intention. And, um, so I was a therapist in private practice for close to 20 years and <clears throat> were in practice. I had different, I practiced in different places, but I was in practice for close to mm-hmm. 20 years. And then about a year and a half ago, I began focusing just on coaching and working with people, not necessarily who were in the midst of their traumas, but people who had done some work, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they have some awareness, but they just still can't seem to shake the patterns that no longer serve them. Mm-hmm. Right. So they maybe, I would say, I, I like to help people get past their past, you know, <laughs> nice. so it's one of those things where. Um, I realized that, um, as a therapist and as a trauma specialist, especially, um, it was such an honor to serve in that way. Mm -hmm. And just realizing that all of that guidance and insight is still there, but I re and I really, really enjoy working with people now who have done some of that work. And now want to are really in that space where they're ready to move and take action. Like when I got to that point on my journey where I processed through a lot of my trauma and I was ready to move and take action, that's when stable misery started becoming uncomfortable. It was like an ill-fitting coat or itchy mm-hmm. tights, you know, like once mm-hmm. I recognized that it, it really shifted a lot of things um, for me. And so I really, really, really love working with people in that space. Mm-hmm. So is being a coach more fulfilling to you than being a therapist or is it just different? Yeah, I would say it's different. I would say it's different. You know, as a therapist, I would work with people a lot longer. We'd stay in the past a lot longer because, you know, we had to heal some stuff back there. Um, Mm -hmm. And as a coach, it's not that we don't go to the past. We totally go to the past. We don't necessarily live there as long. And um, just where my life is now, I feel like coaching is more aligned with where Mm -hmm. I am and where I'm going with my career. I really, really enjoy it. I mean, we, on average, I work with people maybe three to six months, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they move on and give me updates on how things are doing. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they come back for checkups. I still do checkups. We have a family coach and I do checkups still to this day, you know? Um, but yeah, so it's, it's not more or less fulfilling because I have such, I still think back to some of the clients that I've worked with and I have such profound respect in for the courage that they all displayed by coming in and doing their work. And so I still like, I get, I'm getting excited now just thinking about it, you know? So it's, Mm -hmm. it's not a better or worse thing. It's just, it's just different. And that this is what I'm doing now is definitely more aligned. And um, I think speaks to where I am on my journey as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we females, you, we very often feel like not being good enough. Mm. I, 
I can hear from what you say that you struggled with this with this feeling in the past. Are you still struggling sometimes with this? And if so, how are you closing the gap between like not being good enough and being confident? Mm. How do you work on that? Yeah, good question. So I'm always a work in progress, you know, depending on what I'm facing, like imposter syndrome is real. Like, you know, mm -hmm. so if you put me on a stage, I'm talking to 500 people, you know, um, that's going to be, I'm, I might, I feel pretty confident, but if you put me like on a TED stage or something, you know, I might still be like, oh no, <laughs> what's happening? You know, I have to do a little bit of work to get there. So I, I, I like to think of confidence. I think it's, it's, it's a flowing stream, you know, and it just, it, depending on where you are in the forest, what part of the stream you're entering, it's going to wax and wane. Um, for me, like I said, I've definitely experienced not feeling good enough. Like growing up, I received quite a few messages that I wasn't good enough, or at least that's how I interpreted them. Mm -hmm. And for much of my life, I believed in them, especially like into my early adulthood, I would say. Um, and then I had experiences that believed in and reinforced the sense. So like in school, I was bullied like through mm -hmm. from elementary school all the way through middle school. And that gave me this message that I wasn't important. And I was molested as a child and the first person I told didn't believe me, mm -hmm. you know? So I formed this belief that like, I wasn't good enough to protect, you know? So I kept it in. I didn't tell anybody else. I didn't, the first person I told wasn't a family member and I kept mm -hmm. it from the, from the family. Um, my father left and as, when I was very young and as most kids do, I internalized why he wasn't coming back you know? And so I told mm -hmm. myself I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worth the time and the energy. And then in college, I got into an abusive relationship that the nice little bow on top reinforced all those beliefs that I had, you know, mm -hmm. that I wasn't important, not good enough, you know, all of these things. So I just, it kept moving. So this idea of not being good enough was definitely something that I, I lived with for a while. Mm -hmm. And here's the, th the thing that I've learned is that stable misery, it's actually not a bad thing. It's, it's our mind's way to protect us and keep us mm -hmm. safe. Right. So nobody wants to walk around feeling not good enough. Yeah. So yes. what we do is we keep the status quo. Like if I don't put myself in situations where I might be rejected or any of that stuff, then I will feel fine. You know, won't trigger mm -hmm. that part of me that says I'm not good enough. Um, so like I said earlier, the first thing I did was when I started to realize that the stories I'm telling myself are influencing the relationships that I'm getting in, how I'm showing up in these relationships, um, and how people are responding to me, I started to make space for the idea that maybe this core belief that I'm carrying isn't really the most helpful one. And maybe these patterns that I'm entering in aren't really helpful. And it was at this time, honestly, that I got help because even as a psychologist, like I've, a, a surgeon can't perform like heart surgery or brain surgery on themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like they need somebody yeah, else exactly. to do it. And mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Like I had all this knowledge, I help all these people, but I still needed someone to come in 
like I said, I always say I go, I go into my patients' lives with a flashlight and I just kind of shine it and be like, what's that over there? And what's that up there? And mm -hmm. oh, what do you think we should do with that? Should we keep it or should we toss it? Right? Like the little therapist on that movie, on that show Hoarders, who just like goes into the house of the hoarder and like, what do you want to do with this teacup? You know, like it's sort of that type of feeling, you know, and really, um, again, doing the work, testing the ideas, taking action, not just relying. A lot of my clients, I say, are self-help junkies. So they mm -hmm. love self-help books and they love podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And they feel really good. They listen and they read and they underline. And, they, and I say they, but I'm talking <laughs> about myself too, of course, right? And it's like all really good and wonderful. And then you go back in life and do the exact same thing, right? Because it's like, knowledge without action mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't it doesn't do anything it doesn't go anywhere right so it's really important so for me it was really important for me to take action um in terms of work in progress i would really say that i i'm still a work in progress like emotion stable misery is just an indicator you don't get rid of it completely. Uh, my husband and I noticed some of those patterns creeping back into our relationship about three months ago. And we called our coach and was like, hey, we got some to work, got something to work on, you mm -hmm. know, and we're wrapping up with her now. But I don't view stable misery as necessarily a bad thing anymore. It's just mm -hmm. sort of like an indicator. Like, you know what? I'm noticing some patterns that are consistently showing up in our relationship again, and they don't feel good. You know, um, I'm not fulfilled by them. And do you, what do you, do you notice it, you know, and, and should we call somebody and, and check in on this, right? So stable misery becomes less of something that is just this weight on our relationship or around our necks and more an indicator. Mm -hmm. It just flashes and says, hey, maybe you want it, maybe you have some work to do. Um, and it's important for me that I keep working on these things because I don't want a mediocre marriage, right? Like I want to feel yeah. like I'm living in per, like a perpetual slumber party with my best friend. That's <laughs> what I want marriage to be like. <laughs> and yeah, I think rich. it can. I think it can, mm -hmm. you know? And now anybody who's ever been to a slumber party knows it's not only <laughs> like movies and candy. Like you have tiffs and fights and somebody wants to go home and they call their mom and their mom gets halfway there and you call back and <laughs> Day. You know, like everybody knows that little thing. It happens, you know, but at the end of the day, when you leave the next day, you're still best friends. You still love each other and you can't wait to do it again. Right. And so that's the type of marriage that I wanted. The other thing that keeps me going and keeps this work in progress moving is that my kids are watching. Mm -hmm. And I know that they're going to mirror the dynamics that we're modeling for them. So I had to ask myself, like, is this the marriage that I want my children to have? And there are some times where my answer is, heck yeah, they'd be lucky to have this marriage. And then there are other times where I'm like, eh, we got work to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's no, nobody's perfect. It's not perfect. We all need tune-ups. But I would say that we, my husband and I, we're at a point now where we definitely have the confidence that whatever arises, we can, we can deal with it. Whereas that was not always the case and and confidence is what i think keeps stable misery at bay um, because when we hold when we hold um on to our lack of fulfillment or that misery or when we take let me say it this way when we take our lack of fulfillment or our misery and we put it into the light it can no longer remain stable it has to change 
So it's one of those things where now we have the confidence to hold it into the light, which turns our stable misery into more of a dynamic mastery <laughs> of ourselves and our mm -hmm. relationships, right? So that's, that's really what we've had to do. Like, and, and that's why I continue to do what I do in my family and with the, with the clients that I serve. Mm -hmm. What you say really resonates with me because from like, as I had it was like, I brought this like, I don't know how to call it, but maybe a state from my childhood. And mm -hmm. I was coming back to this state. For example, I was used to like fights and arguments and shouting during mm -hmm. my childhood. Yeah. And then when I was in a relationship, this was my like natural state. And mm -hmm. if everything was like, okay, nobody was fighting. It was like, you know, like a red flag, something is going on, something is coming or whatever. <laughs> When's the shoe going to drop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was the one who was starting the fights because it was like natural. I felt, okay, now we are fighting and it's like, it's normal. It's, it's yes. everything is okay. And it yes. like took me a lot of time to realize this and the, to realize that I was the one who was like destroying the relationships because mm -hmm. I was still starting the fights because that was natural to me. So yeah, yes. <laughs> that's, that yes. was like the work for me. It's I love that. That is such a great example of stable misery too. See, the thing about it is a lot of times we would prefer to be in situations that are familiar yeah, than exactly. situations that feel good or that are fulfilling. Familiar mm -hmm. trumps fulfilling when we lack awareness. So I think that is a beautiful and perfect example of how that can play itself out. Even though I'm sure the fights didn't feel good to you, it was yeah. familiar mm -hmm. because when you weren't fighting, it was like, oh no, what's going on? Something's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, good. Somebody threw a shoe. All right. I feel so much better now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is so true. I love that example. So did you get to a point where you were able to transform that or, or have the confidence to do that? Yeah, actually, I was also like working with the therapist. So we were good. working on that at, and I was like setting my own boundaries and mm -hmm. then I was trying to be able to recognize when I'm starting to come back to this like natural state, you know, like yes. when I'm like triggered to start a fight or something and I'm still working on that. Like sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm I don't know, upset, it's so much easier for me to really like start the fight or something. But yes. You but, were yeah, on it. Yeah, but like working on it. <laughs> yes, I call it the six fire fuelers. So they're the things, the six states that are most likely to trigger us to, mm -hmm. or, or if, if stress arises when we're in one of these six states, we're, we're more likely <laughs> to enter mm -hmm. to like be inflamed, right? Within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if we're like, I'm not even going to remember all of them, I'll try. But if we're like, frustrated or famished hungry if we are um if we're um forgotten so if we're feeling lonely mm -hmm. um, yeah <laughs> we are oh i'm i'm blanking on the others but there's like six of them where it's like if you're in one of these things and I, I use them for children too. Like if our children are one of the six, then you're 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 probably gonna get a meltdown. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I can you tell. 
Seriously. If we're fatigued, so if we're tired, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. It's like, yeah, it's probably going to happen. So that is, you were on it in terms of having that awareness and being aware of our triggers. I talk a lot about triggers. is super important with regards to that. Um, because then we can, we can prepare, you know, yeah. if we know mm-hmm. like, oh, this situation, like I had a, I did a, um, a Facebook live in my, in my group recently. And one of the first questions was, we're fine as a family until we get to our in-laws and then we resort, we resort back to old patterns, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, so you know that your in-laws house, that's a trigger for you. So how do we mm-hmm. prepare? So you were on it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like definitely coming home from work, tired and hungry. That's the worst. That's the worst. Exactly. So, you know, like we're not going to say anything deep until I, <laughs> I get my feet up for 10 minutes and a bite to eat. Those are the two yeah, things I need. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm like, Sylvia, stay, stay calm, stay quiet, stay quiet. Don't say anything, please. Don't say anything. <laughs> Like exactly. talking to myself in my head, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, but coming, uh, going back to your practice, uh, when you work with your clients, do you now, when as a coach, do you work more with like families or maybe like single person or maybe women or what? Is, how do you have it right now as yeah, a coach? It runs the gambit. A majority of my practice, usually what will happen is... Um, so, someone like a, like a mom may come to me and realize I have triggers or I am blowing up at my kids or I'm feeling disconnected from my husband or something like that. And then usually what will happen is we'll determine Mm-hmm. Is this a situation where you want to or need to bring your husband in and we can work on it as a couple? Or is this something where you feel like, no, I need to do a lot of work on myself at this point first um, and get myself out of stable misery or into a good place um, and then go from there? So I have those types of situations. I definitely have couples too, where mm-hmm. both partners say, you know what, we both want to work on this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've also worked with entire families. Usually with family, I have done it where I've worked with families with teens and um, I do a lot of like Zoom calls, those types of things. So I've had it where like all three people are huddled around the camera and we're having conversations, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I've done that too, but a majority of the people that I see now are usually like individuals or couples. And once in a while, and I'll do a lot of parents, usually with younger children. So it's, it wouldn't be necessarily appropriate to like plop the kid in front of the camera, like a six-year-old in front of the camera. Um, especially since at that age, it's usually about the parents regulating and modeling and things like that anyway. So mm-hmm. it really runs the gambit. But at this point, I have, I've done it so many different ways. And I'm so flexible because you have to be with families, you know, I mean, family dynamics, they're so different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So if it's possible and not unethical, you know, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm open to a lot of different variations of how we schedule our time together. Mm-hmm. And from your practice, like what are the most, or maybe just one most common problem is there something like that or are all the families different with different problems or is there something that pops up so often 
Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the problems can honestly be broken down into people getting stuck in their past and their old patterns that no mm-hmm. longer serve them or their families. You know, it's getting stuck there, which is just another, like we talked about a minute ago, it's just another manifestation of stable misery. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we like to think that the fight about the money or the sex or the communication or whatever is really about the money or the sex or the communication, but Mm -hmm. it's usually not. It's usually about something much deeper. Um, Mm -hmm. And the money and the sex and the communication, they're just... I like to think of them as like the scrimmage field. So like when you scrimmage, it's sort of like the the fake game, you know, like if you're mm-hmm. playing soccer or football, you're just sort of like doing the little fake tapping. It's not the real game. It's like the practice field. And as long as we stay on those fields, um, it feels safe, right? Because we're just talking about, we're fighting about the money and the sex and the communication, but you're never really going to win a game there. Right. So you're not going to really work on the family wide confidence that we can handle this and we can get through it. Um, You'll end up just staying stuck because you'll never really play a real game. The real game fields are things like confidence and vulnerability and trust and self-doubt, self-acceptance, self-compassion, self-confidence, right? That's where the real game is played. And we're able to get deep into those areas and realize that when I'm fighting about sex, I'm actually really fighting about the fact that um, I don't feel confident Mm -hmm. or I doubt my abilities, or um, I don't think I'm as sexy, or, you know, or when we fight about money, we're really fighting about power, really fighting about control in the relationship, and the fact that I don't feel like I have any, or really fighting about the fact that we don't, we're not able to do things, you know, and I feel trapped because we don't have enough, you know, so I mean, there's, there's much deeper things, and as long as we keep fighting on these scrimmage field things, um, which is great for practice, but it's not going to win the game, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually, you got to come over to the to the big game field. So I would say the biggest thing is people dealing with the triggers and the patterns that no longer serve them that tend to show up when we're on these scrimmage fields, the triggers, the traumas, all these other things um, that we play out again and again. We play out the same patterns again and again and again and again and again. Um, and we don't see a change, right? Mm-hmm. We don't see a change. And then we get frustrated. And sometimes they're between partners. Sometimes they're between us and our kids. Um, kids especially, because kids are really good at triggering, <laughs> triggering <laughs> our old stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, they are so good. Um, yes. <laughs> yes yeah i can tell <laughs> i don't have a kid of my own but my boyfriend he has a son from previous relationship and he's with us like half of the month so like two weeks and two weeks and two weeks so yeah yes. i can tell <laughs> so you can see how it plays out right yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and you know one thing i like to say too is because people ask well how do i know if i'm on the scrimmage field or if i'm on the, the real field right mm-hmm. and i say you know when your reaction is disproportionate to the issue there's a good chance that the issue that you're talking about is a scrimmage field issue. So if I'm screaming and crying because the laundry isn't folded, mm-hmm. I can probably guess that those tears really have nothing to do with the clothes, right? Mm-hmm. They probably have something to do with something deeper. Mm-hmm. And maybe it would help to gain some awareness on what that is, especially if I'm crying about the clothes every week, mm-hmm. over, and over and over and over again, you know? What's yeah. really going on here? 
yeah. And you can tell when the same things are popping out, popping up uh, again and again because they are, then you can tell that there is something like deeper. Exactly. Yeah, no matter how many times you try to deal with it, it just keeps manifesting. Into yeah, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely. Oh, there it is again. It's like whack-a-mole, those whack-a-mole games where you keep, take the little hammer and you try to hit mm -hmm. different things down, you know, it just pops mm -hmm. up somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And can you tell me something more about your coaching practice? Like what is Element living about and how is it different from other coaching practice? Yeah. So... Well, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> what I began to notice with some of my clients was that no matter how much they read or how much they listened to, um, when they were, and they, they knew all the skills and the tips of what they were supposed to do, but when they were angry or triggered, they, mm -hmm. or under stress, um, they were consistently reverting back to old patterns. And then I realized that if we look at this from a brain perspective, it makes perfect sense because we have different type parts of our brain. And when we're like, as I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you now, mm -hmm. the frontal cortex um, of my brain is active. And that's like the part that creates Shakespeare and plays pianos and, you know, all that kind and stores the information from all the books and blogs that we read. Mm -hmm. um, but if I were to get really triggered or angry then that part of my brain shuts down because if I'm trying to escape being eaten by a lion, I don't need to compose Chopin. Like I just need to run away from the lion. So there's yeah. really no reason for my body to send blood to my frontal cortex, right? So that part of my brain shuts down and I enter what's known as like fight, flight, freeze flight, mode. Freeze. Mm -hmm. Right? And so my emotion, my frontal lobe goes down, my emotional brain goes way up. And so if I'm triggered by my kid or my partner, all like the act, the, the part of my brain that I need to access about that blog that had the five steps to dealing with my anger, <laughs> that's now turned into Fort Knox. Like I can't get in. It's like a huge, <laughs> it's a huge, like, uh, what do you call those things? Like a thing that you lock up. It's like a lockbox. I can't get in. Right. Uh -huh. Um, so elemental living, it first began as a process that I developed to help parents access, um, parents and couples access the most helpful responses when they're frustrated or angry. And it developed because I recognized two things. I recognized that when we're stressed, we struggle to remember newly acquired information, like the five steps that I just read in the blog. And mm -hmm. then two, I realized that a hack for that is in the learn in learning theory, we realized that the best way to learn new information is to pair it with information that we know really, really well. Oh, right. Wow. So if we pair, old and new information with old information we're likely to recall it better that's why we use like mm -hmm. mnemonics and visualizations and stuff like that um so with this i use something that we know really well the four elements earth air fire water like for mm -hmm. instance if i if i say that you know if i use fire um to describe a state that someone's in. Like if I say that person's on fire or they're, they're in fire or something like that, what would that, what would you think that I meant by that? That he's like really driven, mm -hmm. willing exactly. to do something, work on it. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. And if I say, um, you know, oh my God, Sylvia, I can't talk right now. My kid is like, like fired up, like just, uh, just so fiery right now. What would you think that I meant? angry 
Yeah, really angry, right? So it's one of those things where with all of the elements, because if you live on earth, I don't mm -hmm. care what culture you're in, all the elements act the exact same way, right? Mm -hmm. And what I started to realize is we all have this intuitive link with the elements. Like we connect fire with passion and drive and anger. A lot of times we connect air with our thoughts. Like we'll say like, get your head out of the clouds, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. We'll connect earth with like groundingness. Or we'll say like, I need to be more grounded, mm -hmm. right? That earth thing or water with compassion, like, um, we'll talk about our flood of emotions or something mm -hmm. like that, you know? So we have these natural tendencies to associate certain things with the elements. So what I started to do is I paired these skills that we need to like the five steps in the blog with these elements. Mm -hmm. So if I am watching my child throw a tantrum in the middle of a supermarket, what am I likely, what not, like, what might I do if I'm just overwhelmed and annoyed and what might I do? Shout at the kid and it's just going to be a complete disaster. <laughs> yes, yes. Shout at the kid, yell, grab the kid. And from metaphorical sense, that's, that's me bringing more fire. So my kid's mm -hmm. on fire and I'm bringing more fire, right? Mm -hmm. So, but intuitively, if you think about it in terms of the four elements, what would be most helpful to bring to that situation? Get, get grounded. Fire, like get grounded for me, for the child. Like Yes get grounded, get grounded within myself. And then what can I bring the child? What helps with fire? Water, like the yeah, compassion, compassion and like this flood of emotion, what you mentioned. Exactly. Bringing the compassion. And that's something that we often think about. Like we can, we can say that like when we're sitting here calm, but in the moment, it's like, if you don't get your butt up off this floor and get in that freaking, you know, like, mm -hmm. we don't do that. So there are different ways that I pair different skills with the different um, elements. And then I also talk a lot about the fifth element, which is spirit and mm -hmm. how we can integrate that with, into our day-to-day -day, um, mm -hmm. to help parents do that. And now I've expanded it a bit more where now I've created, I've used the elements to create a multi-dimensional process um, to help my clients achieve like a sense of balance or mastery in different areas of their lives. So earth would be like the physical aspect and air would be the mental and water would be the emotional and fire would be the actions we take or the choices we make. And the fifth element would be the spiritual. So if we take all of those areas of our life into account, um, and we keep a pulse on all of them, we're more likely to have an area, have a sense of wellness and well-being overall, and not mm -hmm. just as individuals, but as families, you know, like as a family, what's our, what's, what's the emotional temperature of our family right now, you know, and so really being able to use those to help us to um, feel more integrated and more whole. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it's so wonderful. I really love it. I mean, it's, it's useful. It's easy to understand. It's different. Oh, I really love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I actually have an um, ebook on my, I have a couple things on my website. I have an ebook um, mm -hmm. that goes through, it applies the model to um, children. So, and it's mm -hmm. free. People can download that. And then I also have 25 powerful questions that partners can use to deepen their or strengthen their relationship. And they're divided up by the five elements. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that people can use to um, really help them to, if you're in stable misery, 
So re they're really good questions that you can use just to sort of elevate the relationship, shift some of those patterns. Um, and, it, and it's fun, right? It's not, it's just a fun way to do it. Like, let's mm -hmm. ask some questions. You know, even if you've been married 50 years, these questions will help you find out something new about your partner and even move the relationship in a different direction. So those are two, um, two resources that people can download. Mm -hmm. Great, great, thank you. So uh, at the end, I would like to ask five fast questions, like okay. just very fast, but before, before we get to that, I would like to ask uh, one more question and mm -hmm. that would be as our listener, listeners are mostly women. I would ask you like, what is maybe like one advice you would give women to like handle their relationships better or maybe like um, have a better relationship with their partner? Yeah. Um, I would say download the 25 questions because I think mm -hmm. they're really good. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, I would say small steps, small steps. Like when you realize something is going on, what we tend to do is we tend to like, oh, we're going to buy all the books and we're going to go here and we got to go to coaching. We got to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. You know, it's like small steps. Pick like one area, like start with the stories in your head. Like what stories you notice yourself in a, like a tense situation coming up. Just stop for a minute and say like, what stories are we telling ourselves right now? Like when I work with couples and I have them talking to each other, I, I invite them to use, to start sentences with the phrase, the story I'm telling myself is, or the story in my head right now is, you know, because that acknowledges that just because this is my story doesn't mean that there's a universal truth attached to what I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. But it also can, can open up this, this window for dialogue because we realize that just because this is a story I'm telling myself doesn't necessarily make it true for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So see, starting with the stories in your head, asking, um, what am I telling myself? So if, if the, if the clothes are never folded and mm -hmm. I, the story I'm telling myself is my family doesn't care about me, mm -hmm. you know, asking, okay, what's another story that I can mm -hmm. tell myself that might lift me a bit? And it might be something like, um, well, maybe they just don't think that the clothes are folding the clothes is as important as I do. You know, mm -hmm. it's not, they don't care. They just don't think it's important. And it's not about lying to yourself, but there's always another perspective, always. Mm -hmm. So breathe, be still and know it, you know, like what's that other perspective and just consider the, uh, the, the sense that maybe the story I'm telling myself isn't necessarily the reality of the situation. And I think as, as a, as a partnership, if we can call into question our stories and that doesn't mean calling in your partner's stories to questions, like that mm -hmm. is a story. Now start with yourself, <laughs> mm -hmm. start with yourself um, and go from there. That that's a major, major first step. Mm -hmm. So when I get home tired and hungry and uh, my boyfriend is just lying on the couch and all the dishes are there dirty, I, I have to tell myself, like, what else can this mean? Like, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love me or that he doesn't care about our household. What else can it mean? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What else? And then you can even say, you know, when I look at these dishes, the story I'm telling myself in my head right, wrong, or indifferent, is that you really don't care. And, and mm -hmm. I, I know, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And they'll probably say, that's not true. I do care. I'm like, <laughs> okay, 
well, let's talk about this, you know, and then, and kind of go from there. And then he can tell you, well, when I see the dishes, the story I tell myself is they're just dishes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know? mm -hmm. so you can get, you can like almost make a game out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I realize that I don't even think about his emotions. Like maybe he's tired and hungry as well. Yeah. So he was too tired to do the dishes or whatever, you know? Exactly. It's not just about me, it's about us. So go figure. You know what me to realize that? Not just about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now it's time for the fast questions. Five okay. fast questions. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. So answer with just one word or maybe one sentence, whatever okay. is like easier for you. What is something people don't know about you? Tell uh, us some secret. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, how much of a secret? The one's coming up is I've done five triathlons. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So the second one, what do you love about yourself? Hmm. Um, I love my ability to connect with just about anyone and to help them feel heard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and understood. Mm -hmm. And what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? I think the fact that I've done a lot of this self-awareness work because I've realized that it strengthens myself, it strengthens my family, and it models really healthy ways of being for my kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And what encouragement do you tell yourself when you are facing a challenging situation or maybe, as you would say, like some triggers? Mm. Uh, the first thing I usually go to, or I try after I say, be still, or this too shall pass, um, <laughs> I'll go to what stories am I telling myself? And is this true? Really mm -hmm. big on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, very helpful, <laughs> I would say. Mm -hmm. And last one, what would you advise another woman that doesn't feel confident? It's maybe like similar to the one we already had, but maybe just one word and or one sentence. What what is your advice? Mm, small steps. Small steps. Okay, small great. Steps. <laughs> okay, so that's it for today. Thank you so so much for being here. It was Thank a pleasure. This was great. This was fun. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So bye for now. Have a nice day. And I hope to have you here another time again. <laughs> great. Thank you, Sylvia. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.